As you know, this is our Bible Institute uh, on Saturday morning. We just finished the book of Hebrews. And just so you know, uh, you know, where we're going with all of this. Um, hang on a second. I've got to turn my light on. What? Just so everybody has an understanding of where we're at and what we're doing here, um, you know, we have come through uh, all of the structural stuff of the Bible uh, over the last couple of years, and now we're moving into the, you know, the bedrock keys of the Bible, and right now we're we're in the final phase of, of our Bible, and that will be the last three books that we want to really cover, which will be Matthew, Acts, and Hebrews. We did Hebrews first because I wanted you to get a handle on that one, and um, now we have completely through that. You could should have a complete understanding uh, of, of how that book lays out. We're going to do Acts today, and then we're going to move into Matthew, and then when we're done with that, then we're going to tackle uh, an in-depth study of church history. And that may not be for a year or so yet, but that's my plan to be able to, uh, you know, and then we'll have a, we'll have a completed it all and you'll have everything and it'll be on the record, you know, that people can get it. Um, you know, I know all of you really want to learn your Bible or you wouldn't be here today. Uh, you wouldn't even be in our church if you didn't really have a desire to do that. And, uh, you know, from my very early years, I was, I was told how crucial uh, these three books are, Matthew, Acts, and Hebrews. And fundamentally, you know, every heresy out there that you're going to come across, whether it would be, you know, uh, no matter what it may be, it'll, it'll, it'll root itself in one of these three books. Uh, these three books are the most dangerous books in the Bible, uh, if you don't get them down, because they simply are all transitional books, and you find a fluctuation of of doctrine, like in the book of Acts, for instance, uh, you do not find you do not find a certified, solidified way to get saved till you get up into Acts chapter sixteen or someplace up there. And you can't, you can't find a consistency of salvation the same way. And there's a reason for that. But when a person doesn't understand the reason for that, then they'll jump into Acts 2.38 or they'll jump into Acts here, or Acts 10 or whatever. And because they don't see and understand the book, that's where they believe uh, their, their salvation doctrine where they hang their hat. And of course, you know, these books are the hotbed of heresy. So in teaching you the Bible in our Bible Institute, you know, these three books are absolutely a necessity. Uh, you're going to find, as we saw in Hebrews, how that it doesn't really match up. Uh, and when we get into the book of Acts, you're going to get even some more insight on, on Hebrews as we move on through this thing here. But it's a, you know, it's a, it's, these three books are absolutely vital. 
out of those three books, the book of Acts. As far as I am concerned, the book of Acts is the key to uh, everything in the New Testament. And it is absolutely the key book that you have to get down. If you look at your Bible, you'll see a systematic progression of what the Holy Spirit of God is doing in the placement of the books. You know, you find that you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We know from our past discussions how that they are still in the Old Testament. Hebrews tells us that the New Testament didn't come into effect until the death of the testator. So fundamentally, even though they're recorded and you find in the New Testament, they're in the Old Testament uh, up to the point of, of the resurrection and, uh, and then beyond that. So, you know, once we see and understand that, then we know that when the resurrection takes place, then officially the New Testament now does go into effect. But here's the key. Nobody knows it. And that is one of the biggest fundamental mistakes that guys make when it comes to the book of the Bible. God, one of the things you'll learn about God is God never stops something on Monday and starts something out on Tuesday. He has a transition for everything he does. Everything that God does will go through a process of time in which God uh, is in a transfer program. And the New Testament church, you know, it's been an argument for years and years and years. When did the church start? Some guys say, well, it started at the crucifixion. Some guys say, well, it started here, it started there. Truth of the matter is, there is no one place where the church officially starts. It goes through a transition. And when you don't see that, then, and you don't see that because you don't see the value of the book of Acts of how it lays it out. But when you don't see and understand that, then you're caught up into the trap that, that most fundamental Baptist preachers. Honestly, in all my years, uh, I've just met a handful of pastors who really understood the book of Acts and, uh, and saw how it, it, uh, it really fit together. And, uh, and, and even the guys who had the King James Bible, they were, they were completely uh, lost when it came to understanding the book of Acts. And it sets up a lot of issues that the church uh, misses. So you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then you have the book of Acts. Now, we just call it the book of Acts, but the true title of it is the Acts of the Apostles. And what it's doing there is showing you what the apostles are doing after the resurrection of Christ and the crucifixion. So Acts is a vital, vital, vital book. There is no church doctrine, per se, uh, in the book of Acts. Up till you get to Acts, maybe chapter 20, you would find the beginning of it. Uh, you'll find in, in, you know, Acts chapter 11 and 12, you'll find some truth about the true church. But the book of Acts is a book that brings you from the Old Testament into the New Testament. It transitions you from God dealing with the nation of Israel and God establishing then to the church. And when you talk about the start of the church, here's what you have to accept. You know, in Matthew chapter 10, the church is is called out. 
When you get over into Ephesians, he tells you that the foundation of the church will be the apostles. Now, having said that, he sends out and calls out the 12 apostles in Matthew chapter 10. So fundamentally, that is the calling out of the church, even though nobody knew it. Nobody knew it, because God could have went a couple of different ways so he's not playing his hand. So he's not telling everybody that the church now was called out in Matthew chapter 10 and I'm sending these guys out. If you read Matthew chapter 10, they're told not to go to the Gentiles. They just go to the nation of Israel. But in God's mind, that is the calling out of the church. So it's called out in Matthew chapter 10. Nobody knows it. Then it, it gets established it gets established at the resurrection of Christ uh, as far as going into effect. But nobody knows it. And then you'll go through a series of things through Acts and then Paul gets saved and then the church gets revealed uh, through Paul. So there's a transition going there. And this is where everybody misses the book of Acts. And today is just going to be a, a basic introduction. But if you get today down and you understand this, once we start to delve into it next time, you know, it'll become easier for you. But this is what he is doing. God is, God is dealing with the nation of Israel uh, through, a, again, a transition. And so he's not going to officially let everybody know when the church started uh, because it all through the book of Acts up till maybe Acts chapter eight, things could have, were in a state of flux. It could have changed different ways. So he's not going to commit himself to any one thing based on what he's going to see that Israel is going to do. And we'll get into that when we get into uh, you know into the into the chapters themselves. So the book of Acts is probably without a doubt the single key book for understanding and unlocking the New Testament. So then you have the Acts of the Apostles. That's what they are doing during this time period. Then, by the time you get past the book of Acts, the church now is firmly established. Paul is doing his missionary trips. The Gentile churches are well on their way to being established. So now Paul begins to write to the churches themselves, and it's always been a, it's always been a, 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 a an amazing thing to me to, to see even the progression of that. You know, he starts after the book of Acts. The next book he does is the book of Romans, and he does Romans because now that the church is actually in effect, Romans is the handbook of Christian doctrine for the church. Everything that this church believes. Everything that the true Bible, biblical church should teach is laid out in the book of Romans. And this is a great key because you find so many heresies today that uh, if people were just paying attention, you would know that they, they could not be for the church because um, the handbook of what the doctrine of the church is supposed to believe is found in Romans. You won't find anybody speaking in tongues in Romans. You won't find anybody looking for the sign gifts in Romans. You won't find anybody losing their salvation or talking about it in Romans. Romans is hard, bedrock doctrine of what the church believes. So, if you know how to use your Bible, when you see these idiots out here teaching all this other stuff, 
and it doesn't come back to the book of Romans, then, you know, then you know what you're dealing with. So then, after the book of Romans, he gives us 1st and 2nd Corinthians. And again, once you get into, once you get into the, uh, past the book of Romans, now he shows you two different types of churches. And they're all typified by the church at Corinth. In 1st Corinthians, he will show you the problems that a church will get into if they don't follow the book of Romans. And so in every chapter in 1 Corinthians, man, he's dealing with multiple issues that they are messed up on. When you get into 2 Corinthians, then he shows us a church, same church, because they get right somewhere along the line. So he writes that book to them, clearly detailing to them what a true biblical ministry is. And chapter by chapter, just like chapter by chapter, he he laid out the the other one. Now, uh, the, the, the bad side of it, now he's going to lay out the good side through the same church. So uh, that's an incredible aspect to it. And then the next book you get into, you know, where he gets into the, the short epistles like Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Each one of these, each one of these will focus on another aspect of understanding the church. When you get into the book of Galatians, he shows you that heresy can creep into the church. So it's a warning. And you got in that book, you know, you've got the, you've got the uh, Judaizers who are coming in and they are actually uh, trying to bring the church back under the Old Testament. So he shows you there that, uh, you know, that the church is not to, and he talks about another gospel, another Jesus. So in this book, he's showing the church that uh, they are to be strong and stay with what they know and, uh, and, and, and shows them how to deal with the heresy that will creep in because it will creep in. Then we get into the next book, which is Ephesians. And Ephesians is the book where he completely lays out what the church is. Ephesians, to me, is the Song of Solomon of the New Testament. And it goes into great detail about every aspect of the church. When you're done with Paul's books to the church, there's nothing left, nothing left undone. And you should have completely everything going for you. And then after the book of Ephesians, he gets into the book of Philippians. And the book of Philippians in the New Testament books that Paul writes, as far as I'm concerned, lift it out, set it over here. It's the only book that Paul writes to churches that he doesn't have an issue with anything that they're doing. And Philippians is an incredible book because it, it uh, and obviously, I've told you this before, that in the book of Revelation, John writes the seven churches. Well, Paul also writes the seven churches, and you can actually match those churches up. And if you would match Philippians up, it would be the church at Philadelphia, which we know is the greatest period in church history. So we see that in the book of Philippians, there's not one issue this church has. Here he's showing you exactly uh, what the church uh, of the open door should be. And I've told you before that there are uh, if you didn't have any other books of the Bible, if you didn't have anything else, and all you had was Philippians, 
there's 10 verses in Philippians that are the key verses to the Christian life, that that's all you would need. And you can live your Christian life by those. It's an incredible book. Now, watch this. Where Philippians is the church of the open door, now we move into Colossians, which is Laodicea. Now we have the church of the closed door. And we now begin to see uh, the problem with, it's an amazing pattern by which he follows. And then after that, you know, we, we get into the, birth, uh, the, the church, uh, First and Second Thessalonians. And in, in, and in Thessalonians, he sets up for us the patterns or the models. Chapter 1 will be the model church. Chapter 2 will be the model servant. Chapter 3 will be the model faith. Chapter 4 will be the model walk. And chapter 5 will be the model life. He's giving you everything that you need. This is what I mean when I talk about not taking the books of the Bible at face value. You don't just look and say, oh, yeah, this is the Thessalonica. I'll read it. No, no. You've got to go deeper than that. You've got to go deeper than that. And, and then he gets into 2 Thessalonians, and the theme of 2 Thessalonians is uh, how to keep from being deceived in the days that we live. And, of course, um, you know, you can see now that when you come through the t- books that he writes to the churches, after the Acts of the Apostles, you get your doctrine, then you get churches with problems, then you get a church that knows how to minister, then you get your smaller epistles that bring you through Galatians, Ephesians, um, you know, Philippians and Colossians. They all have a particular function. Then you get into First and Second Thessalonians. And by the time you get through Paul's books, you have the church has everything that it needs. It's got the bedrock doctrine. It shows you the heresy that people gets in. It shows you the true aspect of ministry. It shows you everything the church needs to know. It shows you in Galatians how people are going to creep in with heresy. It shows you everything you need to know and gives you a complete understanding of the church. That's going behind the scenes. That's looking not at face value, but as what you really have. And then... He breaks into First and Second Timothy, and First and Second Timothy, uh, you know, he deals there with the leadership structure of the church, and uh, you know, we we've taught, we we've I've laid that out many many times for you, and then when you get into the book of Titus, the book of Titus will lay out our stewardship uh, as a New Testament Christian, and then you get into the book of Philemon, uh, then it talks about our service. Uh, and everything is covered. You'll notice that these books, First and Second Timothy, Titus, and Philemon, are not written to churches. They're written to Christians. So, when you get finished with these, then the next book is the book that we just looked at, which will be, which will be the book of Hebrews. Now you can see how this thing works. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John brought us from the Old Testament to the New Testament. The book of Acts was the bridge that brought us over. Then you have Romans through um, Philemon that deals with the church. Then you have the book of Hebrews, which is another transitional book where you're transitioning out of the church age into the tribulation period. So after that, you have Hebrews, you have James, first and second Peter, you have Jude, and on into the tribulation period. When you see your New Testament that way, 
Now you're on your way to getting a good handle on the New Testament. But you'll never see any of that, not one bit of it, without understanding how the book of Acts figures into it. Uh, uh, there's a lot of preachers out there that are uh, believe the Bible. They have the right Bible, and they're really good guys. But they are victims of what they've been taught in Bible college uh, about uh, the book of Acts. I, other than Ruckman's book, I don't know of any book out there that is worth buying to learn the book of Acts. It may be worth buying to look, to understand what's wrong with these guys, but it isn't worth going to teach you anything. And uh, they all come at it from a, a standpoint of looking at the book of Acts like they do the Old Testament from a Christian standpoint. And, of course, uh, John R. Rice, I remember years ago <clears throat> that uh, he's way dead now, but he had written a number of commentaries. He did one on Matthew. I know he did one on Acts. And, uh, you know, early on, you know, I was never a fan of him anyhow. He didn't believe the King James Bible. But I, I, his books were fairly cheap, and I wanted to learn both sides of the coin, so I got him. And I'll tell you, absolute disaster. Uh, this guy had no clue uh, what was going on in the book of Acts. And the problem is, guys like him, and this is the importance of understanding this, guys like him represent the overall mindset of pastors in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, and unfortunately, uh, even today. Now, you know, the Baptists are off the, off the market, so to speak, uh, in on, and on the back seat of the bus, and now the neo-evangelicals have taken over, and the book of Acts is even more of a disaster. Uh, so uh, at least the Baptists had some kind of roots to hook off of. The neo-evangelicals have nothing, and it's an absolute, it's an absolute disaster. So what the book of Acts will do for us, and this is why it's put in between Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then getting into the doctrine of Romans that Paul writes. <clears throat> what the book of Acts will do for you, it will define everything in church history for you. Church history is going to be a long road. You know, and here's the problem when it comes to the Bible. I mean, it's really not a problem, but it can be a problem if you don't know your Bible. When we want to understand about God dealing with the nation of his nation of Israel. All we got to do is go back to the Old Testament. And every aspect of God dealing with the nation of Israel will be laid out for us. There's there's nothing left to your imagination. Problem is that's not true when it comes to the New Testament church. I don't know if you know this or not, but all those books that Paul wrote they are all written during the time of the book of Acts, from Acts chapter probably 13 to certainly by Acts chapter 20. Everything else that Paul wrote to the churches is written during that time. It ain't like that the book of Acts came and then Paul wrote all these other books later. No, no, no. They're all written during the book of Acts' time. There's not one thing that Paul writes that isn't during uh, the book of Acts. Everything. So we see that, uh, you know, that's, uh, we come up with a problem. Because we got 2,000 years of church history, and there's a lot that happens. I mean, if I want to find out how Israel got screwed up in Baal worship, I just got to go back to 1 Kings chapter 17, go back through the king, go back to wherever, and it's laid out for me, back to the book of Judges. It's all right there. I can see the pattern. Now, from when, when the New Testament starts in Acts chapter 20, 
at the church at Ephesus. That's 2,000 years plus to where we're at today. There isn't one thing written in the New Testament that tells you what to look out for. You don't have, concerning the New Testament, what you had a, a great layout of the Old Testament. You don't have that. So this is where people get confused. This is why you have so many whacked out churches today. Did you ever notice that back in the Old Testament, there wasn't any fake Bibles? Did you ever notice that? There wasn't any publication of fake Old Testaments out there. You ever notice that there wasn't any fake churches out there? You only got two. You got Israel and Baal worship. You only got two. You don't have the Church of Christ, Mormons. You don't have any of that stuff. And this is stuff people fail to see. Why in the Old Testament is it so locked down that there's no other Bibles, there's no other religions other than Baal worship and Israel, but when you get to the New Testament, you got a thousand Bibles out there, and everybody on a street corner has a different church with a different denomination with a different name that believes a different thing. You know what the answer is to that? In the Old Testament, it's all recorded and locked down for you. It's not in the New Testament. The New Testament is fair game for the devil to do whatever he wants to do. Now, I say all that to say that it's not locked down, but then I say it is locked down. And it's locked down in the book of Acts. The book of Acts will define for you everything that you need to look out for that's coming through the church. Every heresy that's going to pop up, you will find it identified to a certain degree that you don't miss it uh, in the book of Acts. Everything will be there. And, And nothing else, he clearly lays out what the New Testament church should be. Now, this is why if you're paying attention, your Mormons, your Jehovah Witnesses, your Church of Christ, uh, the, uh, all of the cults out there, this is why when you find them today and people get involved in them, it's specifically because that they don't have, they have zero understanding that any one of these cults were never anywhere in existence before the 1800s. There is a gap from the Jehovah Witnesses, Mormons, Seventh-day Adventists, you name it. There's a gap of 1,800 years where nobody on planet Earth ever remotely believed or taught or any churches that were connected in any way, shape, or form with any of them. But you see, the devil plays on the fact that people don't know history. So these guys come out and they will tell you that you know, yeah, they'll always go back to the New Testament and that's where they want to take their doctrine from. But they'll never take it out of Romans. Never. You're in a Jehovah Witness that'll hang his hat in Romans for 15 seconds. Church of Christ, you're out of your mind. You see, those things are too doctrinally sound. So where do they go? Matthew, Acts, or Hebrews. And they hitchhike off of those books hoping that the people they're trying to deceive will have no understanding of history that will realize that these people, no matter what you claim uh, out of Matthew, Acts, and Hebrews, you're faced with an 18 to 1900-year gap in history where nobody remotely believed anything that you believed till 1800. And you see, 
the book of Acts is key in showing you that these things are false. They're fake because it shows you the true church and it shows you the true church and it shows you also the false church. You're going to see when we get into the book of Acts that the book of Acts is fundamentally built around three cities. And if you get those three cities down, it'll guide you through church history without any hitches. The first city will be Antioch of Syria. This is where they're first called Christians. And Antioch of Syria, during this particular time and up through the Dark Ages, is the hotbed of Bible-believing Christianity. Somebody asked me the other day when we were going through the seven editions of the King James Bible um, what they used during the Dark Ages. Uh, Because you got to remember, during the Dark Ages, the Roman Catholic Church was in power, and um, she, there was no King James Bible. The first English translation is Wycliffe's and Tyndale's very early on, back in 12-something. And before that, uh, all they had was the old Latin and the old Syriac, which Syriac is out of Syria. And those are the two Bibles that the Bible believers had through the Dark Ages. Now, when I say that... <laughs> We think because we're sitting here today and you got a Bible in front of you that they all had a copy of the old Latin, the old Syriac. That's not true. The Catholic Church was making it a penalty of death to be found with that Bible. So they were very scarce. There were times when all they had was two or three leaves of a pages that they had to read and memorize, and they had to pass those from church to church. There was very few complete copies because of the Catholic Church, but God did what he needed to do through that. And so you're going to find that Antioch of Syria is one of the cities in the Bible. The next one you're going to find is Alexandria, Egypt. And Alexandria, Egypt is going to be the hotbed of corruption. Just as as Antioch was the hotbed of Bible believers, Alexandria is the hotbed of of Bible corruption. Once you see that, and we'll, we'll lay those out as we come through. Once you see that, then... You take that, and if Alexandria, Egypt was bad in the book of Acts, we're living in 2021 today. I guarantee you Alexandria, Egypt, and anything connected with it is bad today. How do I know that? Because it was established in the book of Acts. I I think it was uh, Charles Dickens who wrote a a book that most of you probably had to read in high school, was A Tale of Two Cities. Well, he was one short. The Bible in the book of Acts is A Tale of Three Cities. You have Antioch, you have Alexandria, and the third one is Rome. Those three cities are going to mark for us the, the road signs down through church history that we don't need all the Old Testament books like they had for Israel to lay out. For one book will do it for you if you get that book down. It'll tell you where the true church is. It'll tell you where the true church started. It'll give you what the true church was doing. It'll give you the false corrupt line where it started. It'll show you what the false church is doing. It'll give you everything you need to know that when you move down through history, 1,500 years from the book of Acts, nothing has to be left to your imagination of who's right and who's wrong and what's real and what's not real. That's what the book of Acts does for you. Book of Acts is an incredible book. And I'll say it again, if you don't get it down, I mean, you'll be a great Christian. You'll probably win people to Christ. You'll probably be a great mom and dad. But when it comes to you figuring out your Bible, you'll never get it. Book of Acts is the key to the New Testament. 
without understanding it and going behind the scenes and seeing it not as face value. And that's how it's taught today. Everybody I've ever met in my life teaches the book of Acts from a face value aspect. And they just lay it out from a face value. This is the way, it was what you got. And that's not true. They're not willing to go below the scenes. For me, when it comes to the Bible, I operate, operate the principle of what I call the lowest common denominator. It's like a, it's like a math problem. You can, uh, prime numbers are, uh, which is a universal language, uh, you know, for intelligent life in outer space. If you, if you, if you ever going to talk to aliens, you have to talk to them through a math formula. Uh, so, uh, but it's a thing where it, it breaks it down to prime numbers and prime numbers are numbers that cannot be divided any farther down. And, you know, you can get, you take the number 21 and somebody says 21 is the lowest common denominator of the, uh, no, it's not because it can be 14 or it can be seven, seven times three is 21. When you get to seven, then you can't divide it anymore. That's called the lowest common denominator. That's what you do with the Bible. The Bible is set up in a form that we get all this stuff at face value and we think we have it, but we don't have the lowest common denominator yet. You got to work it down to get to the lowest common denominator. And that's what you have to do with the book of Acts. You can't, really any book of the Bible, but certainly the book of Acts, you can't go by you just simply can't go by the face value of the book. You've got to break it down to its lowest common denominator where you can't divide it by itself anymore. And you're down at the bedrock, and that's what we're going to do. We do that with all the books of the Bible. I've done that with everything that I do and teach. You know, when you get it from me, you're getting the lowest common denominator unless I don't know how to divide it anymore, and I'll tell you. But um, it's a thing where that's what the book of Acts does for you. It breaks itself down to such a degree that it now defines for us where we're going for the next 2,000 years. And, uh, you know, you see all the neo-evangelical churches out there and all the Baptist churches out there getting involved in all of this stuff. It's only proof positive that they've never learned uh, the book of Acts, nor do they know the book of Acts. And so they're, they're you know, they, they miss the road signs. You know, the book of Revelation, uh, in the first three chapters, you have seven churches. And that forms for us the structure of church history. God broke it down for an easy understanding, 2,000 years, into seven periods. And that will show you the structure of church history. The book of Acts goes hand in hand with that. And where Revelation 1, 2, and 3 will show you the structure of church history, the book of Acts will show you the ingredients of church history. It'll be the road signs. It'll be the warnings. It'll be the, it'll be the things that caution us or the things that give us a red light or a green light. That when you get into the structure of church history, because let me tell you something, you'll see when we get into it. Church history is an incredible amount of information. It's a credible amount of, of things. We're talking about 2,000 years and, and everything that God is doing and everything the devil's doing and everything the nations are doing based on one or the other. It can really, really, really become a, 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 an issue to try to get through. And this is why Revelation breaks it down for you in seven. Acts gives you the details within those sevens of what you look for. And you'll never, 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 never fail. It'll, it, 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 without it, you'll never figure it out. You, you just never will. And uh, it really lays out everything that uh, we need to know uh, how it works. Uh, 
Now, I want to give you an outline here that we're going to follow. And this outline is is uh, God's own biblical outline. Every book of the Bible, God has broken down in a systematic outline. And when I did all the books of the Bible a number of years ago, which are on the website, I followed that same deal. Because the only way you're going to learn the books of the Bible or the Bible itself in time is to get those individual books and how they are broken down. That's the key. And the book of Acts is no different. So, you know, usually, not always, but usually, and I find this to be true of the harder books, quote-unquote, of the Bible. And, uh, and, and maybe God did it this way to make it simpler for us. I don't know. But I found that the easier books, the harder books in the Bible are easily broken down because there's a very easy uh, division of the books. You take the book of Revelation, for instance. Now, the Revelation has been one of the classic uh, books of down through the history of the church that everybody just has a problem with. Everybody wants to learn it, but seemingly nobody can under, really understand it. And, you know, there's a, and the reason is that is because they fail to see the natural breakdown. Once you see the natural breakdown of the book of Revelation, then it's a hop, skip, and a jump to, to, to open the book up. But my point is this. If you don't get the breakdown of these books first before you try to study them, then you're just lost in, in hundreds of verses that are meaningless to you because you don't have a central theme to apply them to. And that's what an outline of the books of the Bible does. It gives you an anchor point that everything you're going to read now, you need to lock into that division. And now... If you're trying to figure out this verse, one of the big things that now you have already gotten taken care of is you know where this verse fits into this division. And once you know what that division is, then it's just a walk down a garden path to get the understanding of what he's saying in most cases. So take like the book of Revelation. Admittedly to many people, a very hard book. When you break it down through God's natural structure, it's a very easy book. It breaks down around two places in the Bible where, again, uh, a, a heaven opens. And once you see in chapter 4, the Bible says, and heaven opens. And in chapter 19, it says, and heaven's open. There's your natural breakdown. Because if you look at it in chapter 4, heaven opens, somebody goes up. You look in chapter 19, heaven opens, somebody comes down. So, you know, once you see that and understand, here's the breakdown. Chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4. Uh, uh, chapter 1, 2, and 3, and then beginning with 4, uh, deal with the church age. And in 4, 1, heaven opens, rapture of the church. Church is gone. Then you have chapter 5 through chapter 19 is all the tribulation period. In chapter 19, heaven opens again and somebody comes down. That's the second coming. Then you have Revelation 20, millennium, Revelation 21, New Jerusalem, Revelation 22, uh, on into eternity. Now, see how absolute easy that was. Because now that complicated book has just become uncomplicated. If I'm somewhere between 5 and 19, I know I'm in the tribulation period. If I'm somewhere between 1 and 4, I know I'm in the church age. And it just, everything now becomes very easy when you have the breakdown. Now, the book of Acts is the same way. 
and it breaks itself down the same way. Now, here again, Acts is admittedly uh, a very complicated book because guys don't understand the breakdown. And it breaks down around the same aspect in two places. And the first place that it, it breaks down is in between Acts chapter 7 and Acts chapter 8. And that is a major break in the book of Acts. And then the next place that it breaks is Acts chapter 20. That's a major break. And then, you know, it's just like the book of Revelation. So what you have there, if you're going to look at the outline, <coughs> is that you have in Acts chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7, he's still dealing with the nation of Israel. And, you know, he's, he's going to give them one final chance to get the kingdom. And they ask him in Acts chapter 1, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel at this time? And he won't answer him. He says, it's none of your business what I'm doing. He doesn't give them an answer. So, Acts of the Apostles. You know what the Apostles are doing? They're scurrying around in chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7, trying to make sure that they got everything the way they should have it because they still think the Lord's coming back and are going to establish the kingdom. We'll get into all that when we come through it. You're going to find that there's a, a, a series of the messages that are preached in the first seven chapters. Peter preaches all but one of them, and every one of those messages are to the nation of Israel. And so in Acts chapter 7, the final message gets preached by Stephen. They reject him, and they kill him, and uh, end of the story. Immediately, everything changes in the book of Acts. We go into Acts 8, 9, 10, 11, all the way up to Acts chapter 20. During this period of time in the main section, this will fit in like Revelation did with the tribulation, only this fits in for us in Acts as the church age. And this is where everything gets established for the church. Everything. Every, everything that uh, you need to know about the church and the true church and the false church is found in this section. And it runs up to Acts chapter 20. When you get into this section, you'll find out what the true church should be doing. You'll find out what the true church, how it should be operating. You'll find out how they should be dealing with people in the church, how they should be covering all of the bases for ministry. Everything is detailed out for you. And then you get into chapter 20. In chapter 20, he goes to the church at Ephesus. And in the church at Ephesus, he talks to the elders there. And uh, this is a, in a, an incredibly powerful uh, chapter. And he lays out for us in that chapter final admonition to the church of what the church is to be doing. Because in Acts chapter 21, he heads down to Jerusalem. And obviously you know what happens. In Jerusalem, he gets put in jail. He stays in jail. He goes through a series of appeals, uh, but he winds up, Acts chapter 28, someplace, you're not given the details, but he's killed. So now we see that the book of Acts follows this simple pattern. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, first section. And then you have 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 is the second main body section. And then you have 20, uh, 21 through 28, which is the final section. And that's how you break it down. Fundamentally, and you need to know this, Fundamentally, the book of Acts ends in Acts chapter 20. 
Acts chapter 20, here again, this is where your Bible all works together. Acts chapter 20, he ends his ministry at the church at Ephesus. In Acts chapter 20, he ends his ministry in the, in, in the church at Ephesus. And when you go over to Revelation and you find the beginning of church history, guess what? It's at the church at Ephesus. That clearly shows you that church history, Paul's ministry, and everything that he's going to do is ended by Acts chapter 20. And uh, church history now begins. And you line that up with Revelation chapter 2, and there you are. So these, these, these are absolutely vital things that you need to understand about the book of Acts. These are things that the book of Acts will do for us. And this is why you, you, you miss every aspect of it when you either don't know the book of Acts at all or you get the Baptist men, mindset or the Baptist mentality of the book of Acts that has been taught for, you know, for, for years and years and years. I'm sure... I'm sure that when I make statements that Bible colleges, no matter where they may be, are satanic in their origin, uh, that upsets a lot of people, especially if they went to Bible colleges. I mean, nobody wants to think that you just spent $60,000 to go to the devil's university. I mean, uh, and obviously you're not going to be able to get your money back. But when, and so I understand that. I, I have got, you know, friends that graduated from BBC down in, down in uh, Springfield. Um, I'm probably more familiar with Baptist Bible College in Springfield uh, than any than of the others, but it doesn't matter because they're all the same. But when I was back in Canton, um, you see, what happened was when, all these guys split from J. Frank Norris back in the late 40s. They started their churches, but they wanted to have a, a band of fellowship of churches that would, uh, would, could band together. So they started uh, Baptist Bible College down in Springfield, Missouri. And this was back in the, you know, the, the 50s, I guess. And... Uh, so all of the Baptist churches that came out of J. Frank Norris's crowd were associated with the Baptist Bible College in Springfield, Missouri. Now, there wasn't any other, at that point in time, there wasn't any other Baptist fellowships because these guys under Norris were the beginning of it. But in time, as it grew, then you found other Bible colleges popping up. Jack Hiles over in Hammond, Indiana, he started one. I mean, you had Cedarville, uh, you know, started one. There, the Tennessee Temple. Uh, they, they began to be, you know, Pensacola, uh, not, uh, Pen, not Pensacola, but uh, um, Pasadena a Bible College. They, they were everywhere. And they all were tied to fellowships because once the Baptist Bible Fellowship got going, as this thing got bigger, other churches started their own fellowships. And by the 80s and the 90s, there was a bunch of them. You had Southwest Bible Fellowship, Southwest by Northeast by East-West Fellowship. They were everywhere. And the fellowships were groups of churches that, that aligned together. And every one of them, and here's where the fundamental mistake came in. Every one of them needed a place to train their people for the ministry. And by this time, the pastors had so 
come out of the system and the system had destroyed them, that instead of the local churches doing it like we're doing it, they thought it was much better that the fellowship would organize a Bible college. And that's where all these churches would funnel their kids to. Now, I'll speak for the Baptist Bible Fellowship, but I said they're all the same. That's exactly what happened, uh, you know, uh, in, back in the day. Baptist Bible College um, was a conglomeration of fundamental Baptist churches, and the Baptist preachers did not know how to train people. Most of them didn't know how to build a church. So when it was time to come to somebody was called to the ministry or really want to learn the Bible, they ship them off to Bible College. Now, it quickly became, as you might know, it quickly became a political organization. It was no different than the Democrats and the Republicans, trust me. It was a political system because they had to have an organizational structure which required a president and a board of directors. And so they picked the leading pastor in their minds that was the great spiritual pastor who had built a great church, and he elected him president of the Baptist Bible College. And that was across the board, and all of them. And back in my day, you know, it was uh, uh, Dr. Dow down there. And I was, I, you know, I, I was, I'm not going to say I was part of the Baptist Bible Fellowship, but I was part of that era that, that, that I know it. I had been down there. When I first came to Kansas City, they have graduation uh, every spring. And, uh, you know, all the big pastors would come in. They'd hold services every night. The place would be packed with three, 4,000 people. And the great preachers would preach. All the pastors would come and hobnob, and everybody would see each other. And back then, the church that I was with was very much into that. And so they sent everybody that wanted to go, gave you $300 expenses, gave you the week off, and you could go down and be part of that. And all the guys went down and ate and went to movies. Nobody went to the meetings. But it was a thing where, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a big to-do. And they all did that at their graduation. They still do, except back then, Baptist Bible College had probably 2,000 students. Today, uh, it probably has less than 300, maybe. I mean, it, they're all dead. Some of them were even gone because they failed. So what happened was it became a political organization, and uh, it was very political. Uh, I remember um, very clearly that uh, pastors that I knew that were up in the upper echelon wanted to, when when the election time came out, to pick a president. They would do the same thing the Democrats and the Republicans do. They would politic. They would get their buddies. They would candidate, you know, and, and put, call around, will you vote for me? Will you vote for me? And it was, it was the biggest hypocrisy you ever saw in your life. I know of one pastor who was a very big guy in the, in the deal. He didn't, wasn't running, but these other two guys were. And the one guy was calling him and his buddies and saying, uh, you know, will you vote for me? And so they were saying, oh, yeah, you're the guy, da-da-da-da. But they had, no, they had no, no inkling to voting for him. And they would laugh about him behind their back, and they'd vote for the other guy. It was hypocrisy. It was absolutely a joke. And this is where it really, really, really got off track, because here's what happened. Once they started a school that was outside the jurisdiction of the local church, 
Now they're in a non-biblical situation. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care how many Baptist churches are involved in this fellowship. And you, if, if, that, if that church is not under the auspices and the structure and the guidance of a New Testament pastor in a church that they're accountable to, they're non-biblical. And when they didn't do that, then they started hiring all the teachers from everywhere to come in and teach the classes. You know what happens with that? You're going to get heresy in there. And you're going to have guys come in who do not believe the Bible. You're going to have guys come in that don't believe the book of Acts the way that it should. Not that anybody did back then. And this is what happened. And so the devil orchestrated that because Baptist preachers back in the day were not willing to do the work. Now, I'm just going to tell you. It's a, you have a full-time job with your pastor in the church. It is a job to do an institute or do a college where you are the teacher. Because, but that's your job. You notice I don't farm this out to anybody. I mean, I could because I got guys that could do it. But I don't farm this class out to anybody. I don't split it up and say so-and-so is going to teach this class. Now, I'm not saying I wouldn't do that at some point on certain things. But I'm saying this. The main function of teaching you the Bible is my job not some second stringer. It's my job. That is my job to do it. And yeah, it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of time, but it's okay. That's what the ministry is. But these guys didn't want to do that. First of all, they didn't know the Bible themselves. If they would have had to teach a Bible Institute, man, it'd have been Popeye the Sailor Man and, and Sweet Pea. That's what it would have been. Uh, and it's a thing where they had no ability to do that. And it was easier for them to send them down to Springfield or Hammond or whatever. And what happened was when it got into that non-biblical system, then this is where they lost their Bible. It was different levels of destruction, but it was all the same destruction. I know guys that are my friends who graduated from B.C., and they love BBC. And they go down there to fellowship, even today, for the fellowship week, which is coming up. Well, I guess it's past now. We're in June. But uh, the bottom line is simply this. They know nothing about the Bible. It becomes an alma mater. It becomes my school. It becomes like your high school. You went to Lincoln High School, so you're always Lincoln. You sing the alma mater. You know the, all the deals there, but you didn't remember anything you learned in school. And that's the way it is with Bible colleges. You're, you're, you're not, here it comes, you're not loyal to a book. You're loyal to a system. And the system didn't teach you the book. But because you have to be loyal to the system, you'll never, you, you, you put up with it. You just put up with it. And along with that, it got even worse. Back in my day, when I was just right, getting right and, and growing, Bob Jones University was, you know, at its heyday. And it's pretty well shot now. But it was the pinnacle of a Baptist education. <clears throat> and <clears throat> they were very political. <clears throat> and what they did was, is that if you would send all, because education now was a supreme deal. And remember, all of these guys that came out of Norris's Bible college, they weren't, they weren't doctors, they weren't, they weren't PhDs. Uh, they went to Jack, J. Frank Norris's school and they graduated. But now education had become the god of the world. And everybody wanted education. 
education was the criteria for you being a good pastor. So Bob Jones University and these other places, they just made a deal. And it was true in Canton at the Canton Baptist Temple when I was there um, that uh, the, the, the guys that had graduated from their school, they made a little deal. You steer all of your young people that want to go to Bible college down here and you send enough of them down and then we'll reward you because we will give you an honorary doctor's degree so you can have a degree uh, and, and, uh, and be like everybody else. And that's exactly what they did. And it was the most godless, perverted thing that you ever saw in your life, but under the, under the guidelines of this is God's program. And what it did, what it did is it violated everything in the book of Acts because everything in the book of Acts steered you away from that. The first Bible college found in your Bible is found in the book of Acts. And it's a school that is teaching against the Word of God. And uh, it's just like you see those things. It's like the word counsel. The word counsel is spelled two different ways. It's the word counsel, like I'm going to counsel you about marrying her. Or it's a counsel where where we're going to get together and have a church counsel. Now, the word counsel, me counseling you, is good. But every time you find the word counsel in the Bible, especially in the book of Acts, of a group of people getting together, it's always against the Lord Jesus Christ. Every case. You find that in the book of Acts. So when somebody says, well, I'm a member of the World Council of Churches, I'm out. When somebody says, well, I'm with the United Council of Church. When somebody says, well, you give the United Fund. When somebody, I mean, it, it's one of those things where you know from the book of Acts. It defines it for you. And uh, it's just things like that, that that you learn. And so, you know, when I say that Bible colleges are satanic, and that drives a lot of people crazy. I get that. And I say it to make a point. But I do believe that because after what? Watching it for 50 years? You will find, and this has always been an enigma to me, you will find that guys who go to Bible college spend five or six years there, pay an enormous amount of money. When they came out and they get years later, or they all will tell you that, you know what, uh, I never learned my anything at Bible college. They will tell you that. And because uh, it's true. Because it becomes a non-biblical system that has destroyed every aspect of Christianity. The devil wanted to get God's people trusting in a system more than the Bible. And he, they did. And so you see it. I don't care where it is. Now, you'll find that there are New Testament local churches that will have, quote, unquote, a Bible college or a Bible institute. I'm good with that because it has to be run through a New Testament local church. It has to have a pastor over it, not a president. It has to be under the guidelines of a New Testament local church that they will tell you and guide you and you're accountable to them because otherwise it becomes a disaster. Uh, when I first moved to Kansas City, Calvary Bible College is right up the road here. When I first came, it was down <clears throat> where they have all the weddings now, down there in uh, Westport area at that big mansion place. And uh, that's where I went down and I heard uh, um, 
um, the guy I told you about that wrote the books. Um, what did I say his name was? John R. Rice. He spoke down there. <clears throat> they were always a mess. <clears throat> they were never biblical. <clears throat> but as time went on, because they had no biblical structure, <clears throat> nobody believed the book. I knew several of the guys who taught there who were incredible minds, <clears throat> but had no care about the Word of God at all. And then they got, because they would bring in people from around the country to teach there, and they weren't through a local New Testament church, the Calvinists came in. <clears throat> and, you know, now it's an absolute, it was terrible back in my day. I mean, I mean, it's a toilet that needs to be flushed today. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's got, uh, it's just incredibly a messed up mess. And there's no resemblance to anything. And it's just, but they're all that way. And it's all because that they all were a non-biblical system. And now you can look back for 50 years and you can see the destruction they've done. You can see the churches that were destroyed. You can see the pastors that they produced that had absolutely no understanding uh, in any way, shape, or form of anything that was really going on and anything that was really happening. So as we move into the book of Acts, and we start this thing in chapter 1, um, we're, going to, we're going to go through it piece by piece, and I'm going to lay out for you every aspect of it. We're not going to let anything lie that isn't important. You're going to get, when you get done with the book of Acts, it'll be like it was with the book of Hebrews. And that it, fact that it will be, everything will be broken down. And again, I will show you the cause and the effect of why things are the way they are in the book of Acts and why it's a book that you do not want to base your church doctrine on until you get to chapter 20. And then it's not doctrine, it's philosophical about the ministry. You want to base your doctrine, it's Romans. But so many guys, and I will show you, I will, we will take the time and I will show you every mistake and heretical teaching that Baptists teach today out of the book of Acts. And it's because when they went to Baptist Bible College or Jack Hile School or Tennessee Temple or wherever it was, they were an absolute joke when it came to teaching the Bible. And everybody got the party line on the book of Acts that was basically John R. Rice's mind. That's where he got it. John R. Rice was a great soul winner, and he's noted as a great preacher and a great compassionate soul winner, which he was. But what happened to him is what happened to them all. He wanted to get educated. He got sucked into the educated crowd, and he destroyed his faith in the Bible, and he wound up denying the King James Bible. And uh, when you read his books, you get the party line because what he was teaching is exactly what the party line was that everybody was teaching, and it's a, it's a disaster. So, all right, we're going to hold up there, and now you got a good, solid introduction.